Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out, sign up, powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Welcome to Indie Game Business. I am your solo host again this week, Jay Powell. And Indy will be back with us shortly. He is feeling better. He's been a little bit under the weather, uh, but he's going to be back shortly. So don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about me handling the production on all of this stuff for, for very much longer. Uh, today, we've got Alex Winchell. Did I get that right? Yep, you got it. I'm notorious for butchering names. So for the last six years, Alex has been running a online web-based MMO called Politics and More Online. And he reached out to me and said, well, I think I have something interesting. And I'm like, yes, that's actually really interesting since you've, he's done all of this on his own, paid his way through college with it. Uh, so let's just start at the beginning, Alex. Tell, tell us a little about you know, where your interest came from. And I would say how you got in the industry, but this is all you've been doing in the industry for a while now. But so just walk us through, you know, what brought you to do this and, and what you've been working on for the last you know, six or seven years now. Sure. So it probably all started when I was just uh, a pretty young, probably six or seven. Um, uh, my brother was, I've got an older brother, he's about 10 years older, and he was making uh, like a game maker game one night on the computer and I kind of walked in and asked what he was doing. And uh, he kind of helped me put together my own little platformer game. Um, and he pretty much did all the coding and everything and just kind of had me uh, draw the sprites, which were terrible. Um, but that was probably my first experience in making games. And um, so fast forward probably six or seven years after that, where I'm probably around 10, 12, something like that. Uh, I always kind of had an interest in politics and government too. And uh, I was constantly looking online for games where I could do things like create my own country. And I found this game that's kind of similar to politics and war called Cyber Nations. And it's uh, also kind of a browser-based um, MMO where you get to create your own fictional country and rule it and interact with other players. Um, and so this was probably around 2008, 2009. That game came out in 2006, so it's pretty dated now. Um, and I was playing that for like a few years and getting pretty into it. Um, 
And one day I actually got banned from that game and it was kind of a, a weird story. Um, you know, I was just a kid and kind of uh, uh, made a report um, that the moderators there thought was me just trolling them. I, I think I just had this idea given my experience with like Game Maker and making some games over the years that I could just make my own version of Cyber Nations. Uh, which, uh, let me tell you, making a, a web-based MMO is a lot different than uh, uh, Game Maker um, platformer. Uh, but uh, that was kind of when it all started, and, and it really started with me just doing things like Googling, how do I make a website, and how do I create a system where players can like register and log in? And uh, that kind of introduced me to the programming, um, databases, I ended up looking at lots of other people's examples for how things worked and just kind of pulling pieces from, you know, anything I could find online and, and kind of smashing it all together to make some sort of a system that would work where players could uh, uh, sign up and create a country and do different things and interact with each other. Um, and so, like I said, that probably all started around 11, when I was 11 or 12 years old. Uh, so about 10 years ago now, uh, I'm 23 now, but um uh, over the years, I mean, it probably took me a while, probably three or four years to get anything that sort of worked. I mean, I would just start one of these projects and get a ways into it. And then uh, uh, inevitably, there'd be something, you know, catastrophically wrong with it, uh, because it didn't have a good foundation for how it was uh, built. And I'd end up scrapping it and starting over. And each time I did that, I, I had a better idea of what I should be doing from the beginning and, and how to make it a better game. Um, and I think by the time that I was uh, about 14, uh, I was a freshman in high school, I created um, kind of the precursor to politics and war, and it was called Pixel Nations, and it was pretty much the same concept, uh, trying to copy Cyber Nations, this original uh, game of this style, and uh, it worked pretty well. I think at its high point, I probably had about 500 active players, which was pretty cool for uh, me at the time. Um, and I think I made a little bit of money in microtransactions, but not very much. And um, again, it was one of those things where there was just some issues with the underlying code that I didn't really know how to fix. I think people were able to do some like SQL injection to give themselves like unlimited money in the game. And that kind of ruined the experience for everyone when people could just cheat so easily. And I, I just didn't know how to fix it. So uh, I ended up actually selling that game to one of the players who thought uh, they were going to kind of turn it into something bigger. That one kind of ended up flopping, I think. Uh, nothing really came of it. I don't think it exists anymore. But um, so I, And then I kind of took a break for like a year or two. Um, and I, I was a junior in high school when I decided that I kind of wanted to do this again. I was kind of missing this, really this hobby of just working on games and trying to build this uh, government simulation MMO game where you could create your own country and, and do all the fun things that you wanted to do, the, the role play, the diplomacy, the trading, the war, all that stuff. And um, I started on politics and war. And that was, I think I, I like bought the domain name first, maybe in like 2013. And I probably worked on it for about a year and a half, um, adding in all sorts of stuff, all the basic coding and features. And uh, we launched that live, or I guess I say we, because I have a, a company now that I, I end up referring to things kind of in that third person, but uh, or second person, I don't know what that is. But anyway, I guess I launched that live in like August of 2014, um, where we just reset everything uh, and started all over from scratch. And I don't know how many players we started with, probably around a thousand kind of sign up right off the bat. 
but uh, I've been running it ever since. So uh, over six years now since then. Um, and the whole time I've just been, you know, adding new content, uh, fixing all sorts of bugs and problems that have come up over the years and uh, doing all the moderation and stuff. But uh, it's been going strong and it's been a, a pretty cool experience. Well, you must have a pretty good community because within like five minutes of us being live, chat has just blown up all over. <laughs> well, I haven't checked, but I, I pinged uh, in our Discord server. I think we have seven or 8,000 people in there. Um, I think the, the everyone ping that I did hit like a thousand people. So I don't know how many people have jumped on, but yeah, there's, there's quite a few active people in the game and uh, people are pretty active in Discord and uh, stuff too, so. So, I mean, the interesting thing is you didn't have a background in development. I mean, all of this you did on your own. So, I mean, where did you even start? I mean, I know you can Google YouTube, but give us a little more, you know, detail on, on where you actually begin with something like this. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I literally knew about nothing when I started and uh, looking back now, you know, knowing what I know now, I, I don't think I would ever try to do that again. Um, but I think at the time I was young and I was naive. And, and like I said, I'd, I'd made some game maker games and I was like, Oh yeah, I can do this. It'll just, uh, can't be that hard. And, um, you know, I had to learn everything from like how to, uh, handle a, a web server and like different website stuff to, um, I remember when I was first trying to create like this register login system and I was reading all this stuff online and like stack overflow and people's coding examples about like, you really, you know, kind of needed like a MySQL database to handle all that stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know how to do a database. I don't want to do that. You know, I was looking for, I was like trying specifically to find people's examples where they just like stored usernames and passwords in like a text file that they would just like read in, read out. Um, uh, so stuff like that kind of held me back for a long time because I really didn't even know what direction I should be going in. Um, and I was doing everything in like Notepad to begin with, uh, saving the files in Notepad. And uh, I didn't have any money either because I was like middle school, you know, when I started I was <laughs> using this uh, website. It, I think it still exists. It's uh, 000webhost.com. And they give you like a free, small free web server where you can kind of put up whatever. Uh, I mean, it's like kind of, lousy hosting service but uh that's what i was doing i mean i didn't even know how to uh, work on any of this stuff remotely on my computer i just knew how to upload the files and then go to the website and try them out so um yeah it, it, it literally was just a lot of googling and looking at examples and and over time like literally over five or six years i started to learn um the programming language which php is uh what the game is written in and mysql for the databases you know I just, I learned enough to kind of know what I was doing, but uh, um, I grew up in a really rural town in Montana, so we didn't have any like uh, computer programming classes or anything like in my high school. Um, and it, it wasn't until I went to college that I, I took a couple of computer science courses because I thought, you know, I had some experience. I might want to major in computer science, uh, which I didn't end up doing, but um, I took the intro courses and that was where I learned how, you know, when you program something, you set it up with like functions and classes and stuff. And I mean, this was like two years into politics and war being launched live. And I was like, wow, like this would have made things a lot easier instead of just like copy and pasting the same code into different files. And then, you know, when you want to fix something, you have to fix it in every single file instead of updating one function. So 
Um, that's been kind of a recurring problem for me, actually, is uh, how poorly the code was written initially makes it kind of hard to work on sometimes and debug things. Uh, I mean, but, yeah, I mean, because we see this with, with a lot of developers, and, and it's one of those that sometimes you do something and you really don't anticipate it catching on like it does, and all of a sudden it continues to grow and you add stuff to it, and then you look back and you're like, okay, okay my code is shit. I can't add something here because I haven't, you know, built for it in, in the right way. Um, so, I mean, we've actually got multiple questions coming in here, and I'm going to hit these, you know, as, as they make sense in the conversation. Uh, I mean, so this is a really good question and, and we see this a lot. Six years is a long time to work on a project. Uh, most of the games that I've been involved in, I didn't even want to play them by the time they got to launch status, you know, much less work on them for six years. So how did you find the motivation to keep going? That is a good question. That was something that I kind of struggled with. And, uh, uh, you know, when I started, like I mentioned, this other game, Cyber Nations, was still going strong. And there was, uh, you know, my game was kind of a competitor to that. And uh, I guess I was trying to poach players from that game. And, and a lot of them, you know, came over and saw kind of how crappy my game was or whatever iteration I was in at the time. Uh, and, you know, said, your, your game is never going to be as good as this. You should just quit. You know, you should stop doing this. This just sucks. Uh, so I, I had to deal with a lot of that and then just like self-frustration when things went wrong and I didn't know how to fix problems and uh, really what to do. Um, you know, so how to keep going? Um, I guess I just always really enjoyed it, I think, was kind of my motivation. Um, I just kind of believed in myself that I could do it. And like I said, I think that comes from probably the experience with like Game Maker at a really young age of just like, oh, yeah, I can make a game like it's not that hard. That was kind of my attitude. And I was like, if I just keep trying, I'll figure it out and I'll just do it. And uh, like I said, as like an older person now, I uh, like thinking about how much time I invested into that and like how much effort and things that I did. Like, I, I don't know if I'd do it now, you know, if I'd be willing to invest that much time and effort into something now, not really knowing how it was going to pan out. But uh, um well, yeah. you're, you're in good company because we are an entire industry of people who do that on a you know daily basis is investing time in something. And, and a lot of times you're just hoping it's going to take off and you know, right. a lot of times it doesn't. So, I mean, when, at what point did you realize, okay, there's something going on here that there's a future in and I'm going to have to, in, you know, continue working on this investing. What was that tipping point that you hit? Um, I think when I was a senior in high school, so this was probably, uh, roughly a year after we'd officially launched. So like spring of 2015, um, uh, I guess I'll just say that I, there's microtransactions in the game, which is how it makes money. And, uh, um, one month I screwed up and, uh, I didn't have like a cap on them. And I guess I should have prefaced that. So, so I've always capped the microtransactions because, people are always concerned about the game being pay to win and they wouldn't want to play if, you know, whoever is the biggest wallet just wins. So we've always kept pretty strict limits on how much money you could really spend to get any competitive advantage in the game. And there's this one month uh, in like 2015 where I, I made some sort of change and I, uh, there was like a bug where um, I didn't limit it properly. And I think people spent like $11,000 on the game that month. Oh my God. Um, now that was a huge anomaly, like, uh, for the time. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is nuts. Uh, and I was, I remember like telling the adults in my life and they were like, wow, like you, I mean, they didn't know that that wasn't like a, a common thing. Um, 
but uh and i didn't really understand at the time like how much money that was either i was just like wow like this is pretty cool and they're like holy crap like you are some sort of i don't know i just remember getting like all sorts of congratulations from like random people at school like teachers that i didn't really talk to like they must have talked to themselves a little bit um but uh i think that was probably one of the biggest points where i was like wow like this is actually um something pretty significant so that's and uh, i was go ahead but don't worry about alex i'm in my mid 40s i've been doing this for 20 some years and i'm still firmly convinced most of my family doesn't understand what i do or that there's money in it either yeah you you get used to it don't worry about it um (laughs) so all right so there's a lot of questions coming in that are actually about the game and so i'm gonna shut them a little bit towards the end but you know they do bring up some some really good points and so when you're looking at the growth of the game and how you go and get the word out there. I mean, you didn't come into this with experience. You didn't come into this with a community to start with. You know, it's just kind of like word of mouth and growing and growing. And now you're what, 200,000 users or something along those lines. The, how did you approach marketing and getting the word out about it, you know, and what worked and, and what didn't work? Sure. Well, first I better say, I think we've had, uh, around 250,000 people sign up since that point, like six years ago. But in terms of active users, there's about uh, 10,000 per month right now. All right, still. So, but- um, That's non-trivial. Uh, <laughs> well, sure, right, right, right. But it's not quite uh, 200,000, I guess. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that that was cleared up. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of marketing, so um, I didn't know anything in high school. And when I went to college, I studied economics and I thought that was gonna be a little bit more business involved, but it really wasn't. It's more data analysis stuff. Um, But uh, I learned a little bit um, doing different things uh, in college. And then um, probably in the last few years, I took a more uh, directed approach to like, try to figure out how to market. So I was doing like uh, YouTube videos on, you know, digital marketing and different things, just trying to teach myself. And then this last fall, I actually started an MBA program and I'm doing actual like courses on marketing and, and stuff. But, um, for the last like two years or maybe three years, I've been trying to do digital ads, um, like on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, recently I started on Reddit, uh, trying to do some ads. Um, and I think I've had varying degrees of success. Uh, it wasn't really until probably the last year that I knew how to set up like the analytics tracking properly so that I could see, uh, you know, how many people are actually signing up from the ads, like with the Facebook pixel and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it, I, I guess in terms of like figuring it out, it's, it's kind of just been a trial and error approach. You know, I am willing to, you know, throw away X amount of money and see what happens and, and learn from it each month and then uh, adjust kind of on the fly is how it's been going. So. So, so of the different things that you've tried, have you seen that there are some things that work better than others and some things that just don't work at all? And, and I'll give, there's no good answer to this because every game, every community is different. But, you know, for what you're doing, ha- have you found those differences? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the challenges that I've had probably is mobile. You know, mobile is this ever-growing uh, part of gaming and uh, being a web-based game, it's it's mobile responsive, so you can play it on your phone. 
Uh, but I don't think that like the player retention rate is anywhere near as high for people playing on their phone than it is on their desktop. I think uh, people that like have the full browser experience and are like on a PC where like they probably have Discord downloaded to to interact with the game, uh, their retention rate is a lot higher. So what I found in the last uh, really month or so is that Reddit ads have been really effective. Um, I think there's a lot, obviously a lot of people use Reddit on their phones and I think I have it targeted specifically at desktop, but uh, Reddit being like a pretty text-based, browser-based experience, um, it seems like there's a lot of overlap between people that are on Reddit and also willing to play like a text-based, browser-based online game. So um, that seems to have really increased our active players in the last uh, month or so is the Reddit ads that I've been doing. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? And it's always, I haven't tried that yet. I haven't tried it. We run Twitter ads for our events and Facebook ads never worked for us. But I mean, we, we have a very niche, you know, we're talking about people who are only interested in, in the business of video games and that's a very tight group. Uh, and, and I've heard a lot about Reddit ads and I hadn't tried them yet, but I probably should. So Jeff from YouTube's got a question. How do you balance time investment towards a game? What takes the most time, moderation, development, coding, et cetera? So that's a great question. Um, it kind of depends on the day. Uh, moderation takes a huge amount of time. Um, and I have some volunteer moderators that help with uh, stuff like on Discord and on the forum. Um, but in terms of actual in-game stuff, I've been reluctant to really allow anybody to uh, do things like, you know, ban players or uh, issue like moderation strikes we have for people that break the rules, but it's not, you know, enough to be a ban. Um, just because, uh, well, I guess I want to appear as unbiased as possible. Um, and I figured the buck kind of stops with me at the end of the day. Um, so I've always had kind of uh, uh, tight management of that myself. And and so it just depends on the day. Um you know, sometimes there's big things that happen where people will break the rules in like a really big way and it gains a lot of attention in our community. And, it, and I have to spend a lot of time uh, dealing with that as well as like talking to people because um, I guess I'm very accessible as well. So pretty much anybody can DM me on Discord or in the game or on the forum and people do all the time. So just about every day, I probably have 20 or 30 DMs from players that I, you know, they ask a question or they have a, a problem that needs to be fixed or whatever it is. Um, so I spent a lot of my time just handling all of that stuff. Uh, and so for a while, it was kind of a problem, like uh, having enough time to do all that moderation plus the the coding and development side of it. Um, I've been trying to get uh, more people in the community involved in the last few months. So we've got a, a development team, I've called them, which is just a group of players that uh, tries to look really closely at ideas for like new content or changes to existing game mechanics and they kind of consult with other members in the community and really kind of think about things in thoughtful ways and then kind of lay out um, a list of suggestions for me for things to do, you know, like on any given month of like updates or changes to implement. Uh, so that has helped um, take a lot of that work off my plate. And and the other thing is too, is even if I do all the, the development ideas myself, I end up uh, consulting with the community anyway, uh, because a lot of times my ideas suck and people hate them. Uh, so uh, that that whole process just kind of makes that a little easier and, and takes a little bit off my plate. And then uh, just in the last few months, I was actually able to start uh, hiring a part-time developer to help me do some of the coding as well. So that has eased up time on that a little bit more. So 
for the most part, probably I spend the most part doing like management of uh, her and the programming that she does, kind of management of the community in terms of the moderation and uh, as well as the development ideas and, and content that we want to come up with. So, yeah. But, and that leads right back into one of our other questions. John from LinkedIn says, you know, first of all, impressive that you got started at 14. Do you have anyone helping you on the business end of things? Not really. Um, I think I was always kind of entrepreneurial minded, uh, even as a child. And that's kind of why I did economics and undergrad. It just kind of fit in pretty well. Um, but no, I, I really just kind of figured it out on my own and I probably made lots of mistakes on the way, but, uh, uh, really in terms of the business side of things, it was just setting up a PayPal account and then integrating that so that people could send me money on, on PayPal. And, uh, really in the beginning, I, I didn't even know how to automate any of the systems. So, uh, I'd check my email like really frequently. And if somebody had sent me some money, I'd have to jump on the game and like give them the in-game currency or whatever that they had, uh, uh you know, paid for. Um, you know, since then I've got it integrated. So like that stuff kind of happens automatically, but, uh, no, I, I've pretty much just figured out the business stuff, um, on my own. Like I said, now I'm, I'm doing an MBA class, um, or an MBA program this fall. So I'm, I'm starting to learn kind of the, the more important stuff, the kind of the accounting and the management and different things. But yeah, mostly it's just been me figuring it out as I went. The, uh, well, that, that's how I learned business in this industry and, and, it's not the best way to learn it, but I'm sure it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way to learn it. And that's why we started doing this show. It's, it's because, you know, I think there's 500 and some colleges and universities that teach some sort of game development, but nobody teaches the business and the marketing side of it. I think it's like less than right. 5% of those companies. So don't worry, figuring out as you go along is a completely viable strategy and you've obviously been doing it well so far so it's you're on the right track so when you're talking about monetization and i like the way that you, you kind of cap it i mean there's been a big hubbub on twitch lately because one of the streamers like capped hers at five bucks it's um how so walk us through real quick what is actually monetized in the game Sure. So when you're playing, you've got uh, your own nation and you've got money and then there's a whole bunch of resources that you can uh, make and use to build stuff. And in terms of like the monetization, there's uh, uh, you can buy credits or kind of the um, currency that you trade for the other stuff. So you can use these credits and redeem them for uh, money from money in the game. So you can get more money to build stuff, more resources. Um, you've got cities in your nation that have infrastructure. You can get more infrastructure. So it's just kind of stuff like that, either stuff that helps you uh, get ahead in the game or uh, is getting ahead in the game a little bit, I guess. Um, but we've had a limit of um, like 10 credits per month since forever. And uh, that equates to about $40, $45 um, US dollars per month that you can use. And, and it resets on the first of every month. So um yeah i guess that's the way that the microtransactions kind of work and then how they're capped and then another cool thing that we've done that i don't know how prevalent this is in other games uh but those credits that you buy for the real currency um you can actually buy and sell those with other players and so um, there are some non-pay-to-win benefits as well um one i have is called vip and that just uh, gives you like extra role play benefits in the game. So it's a it's a non-competitive advantage, but it lets you make your nation look a little fancier, you know, just like you would have skins in lots of other games that you could buy for your life money. 
but because you can trade those credits between players, uh, oftentimes what happens is there are players that you know might want those cosmetic benefits, but they don't want to pay real life money, but they can get them from other players by paying in-game currency. And so, you know, if you buy one credit for like five bucks, um, and you can redeem it directly for twenty million dollars in the game, uh, or you can sell it to a player who will buy it for like twenty-five million dollars in the game. And so that happens a lot. Uh, because it helps the person who spent real life money get more in-game money for what they got. And it lets, you know, somebody else who's actually uh, giving that in-game currency, some sort of cosmetic benefit typically. So that's kind that's of a cool thing too. Actually a really good system. And it solves one of the problems that we see in, you know, AAA free to play MMOs at Tom's and, you know, not everybody has a PayPal account. Not everybody has a credit card so they can go right. buy this stuff. And when you give players a way to do that fairly in and amongst themselves, you're you're growing your player base. That's actually a really good system. So we've had a couple of questions that I'm kind of going to merge them together here. Um, Harris from YouTube says, you know, what are your thoughts on the new nation sim affairs and order? Do you see it as a competitor or something that can boost the industry? And, and the bigger question I want to wrap around that is, how do you look at competitors or similar products in general and how does that you know evaluate, I mean how does that mold the timeline and the and your dev outline on what you're adding and, and not adding so that's a great question um so this affairs in order specifically i think the players that are working on that game uh or the people that are working on the game are actually players of my game and i think they were kind of inspired by what i did and they you know, I wanted to make a better version of Cyber Nations, which was like the original 2006 version of this game. And then uh, I think they want to make a better version of politics and war uh, now. And I think it's great, um, you know, that they're doing it and that they're um, working on it. Like, I, I really only want to see them succeed um, in terms of competition. You know, I think that probably there is. Um, I don't know if it's exactly a zero-sum game, you know, that people that play Affairs in Order wouldn't play Politics and War. Um, but, uh, I, I, like, I think there's some room for both to succeed. Um, I think there definitely is competition there, too. Um, but I think that one of the reasons that Politics and War has, has been successful and stayed successful was that uh, I've always just been really active in the community. I've listened to feedback from players and incorporated, uh, you know, so many suggestions from players on what you know types of content should be in the game um, that I think people have wanted to stick around and uh, see the game continue to grow and add new features. Whereas you know when I made Politics and War and we were competing with uh, Cyber Nations, the guy that 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 made that game had just kind of dropped off the earth and and stopped making updates, stopped engaging with the community. You know he just let it ride out. And people got kind of bored of it and tired of it. And they were enticed to come play politics more because of the new features, because I was an active admin and would incorporate new ideas um, and fix problems when they arose. And I think as long as I continue to do that, um, you know, there always could be new games and better games coming out. But I think people will stick around as long as I'm willing to engage with them and, and add new content that they think should be added to the game and will make the game more fun for everyone. So, you know, my two cents on this 
it's very rare in this industry that you get something where you have that one-on-one -on -one competition. I'm going to play this or that. It's like, I mean, think about what we play you know, daily. I may have Warhammer Total War up. I may be playing Valhalla on the Xbox, different games on, on mobile and, and on Switch. It's not that, especially for indie devs, it's not so much that you're competing with other games as much as you're competing with Tom. And, you know, is that person, you know, Tim Sweeney covered it when he was talking about Fortnite and he's like, no, it was Netflix actually talking about uh, Fortnite. And they're like, our competitor is not YouTube and, and Amazon Prime and Hulu. It's Fortnite, you know, because that's what people's you know, time is taking. And so, it's it's good that you understand that there's there's different games out there. They're going to be different. They're going to evolve. But quite frankly, it's the give and take and how one game pushes another one that makes indie games so fantastic. You know, I've got a nine year old, and it, anytime some other game does something, he's like, "Oh, they stole that from Fortnite." And I'm like, "No." It's like Fortnite stole that from PUBG, who stole that from you know Rust and sure. all these other games. It's that's not how it is. You know, you you have to have that competition, you know, within player bases, within games to spur that innovation. And as long as you're staying on top of it, then you know you're good to go. I mean, that that's the beauty of indie development. The more that you know, I see a lot of teams and, and games support one another the better off it is for a lot of stuff. Um, all right. So what was, what was the next question in here? I've like already lost some of these things. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's one. So uh, Max Novak says, does the money you get from credits and VIPs make enough to be able to advertise the game on other platforms like YouTube and, and Instagram? So we already touched on this a little bit, um, but you know, how do you, let's look at it from this direction. The revenue that you get in, obviously, you know, you said you, paid for college you know on your own which is fantastic uh but how do you prioritize it in terms of resources in the game yeah so so for the first like four-ish years you know when i started I, I was going through college um full time and so that was where a lot of the money went and i i just didn't have the time to invest in uh i guess like kind of learning the marketing side like we talked about before um and then when i finished my undergrad i really spent uh, a lot more time. I was really working like full time on politics and war and um, investing a lot more of the money into uh, back into the game. So um, I've been playing around with different amounts of advertising spend uh, to figure out what makes the most sense. Um, and really my goal is just to uh, at least break even on, you know, what I'm spending in terms of like bringing in new players and then they, you know, make donations because, Obviously, it's not sustainable if you're just losing money, but um, I want to grow the game as big as possible just because I think it's more fun for everybody. Like when you're doing uh, an MMO game like this where people coalesce into different political factions within the game and these political factions like interact with each other and form treaties and fight wars and do all these different things, having a more like a larger and more diverse player base really makes the game more fun for everyone, I think. So I, I try to invest um, a lot of that money back into advertising. And uh, like I said, I've, I've just been playing around with different amounts to figure out what makes the most sense. I think, uh, 
you know, a, a browser text-based game is, is kind of a niche. And so not everybody wants to play that game. And I don't think I can just throw unlimited money at it and get unlimited results. Like it kind of needs to be a pretty specific targeted advertising is what I think I figured out uh, over the last few years. Um, but I've been, uh, like we mentioned earlier, I, the Reddit ads I've been uh, doing a lot of because they seem to be uh, working out pretty well. Um, but I've been spending around $2,000 a month on the advertising, just reinvesting that back, back into the community. Um, and then as well as like bringing on that part-time developer, there have been a lot of um, content and quality of life updates is what uh, we call them because they just kind of make the game more user-friendly and easier to use uh, in the last like month or two in the game just because of having her on and having that extra development time uh, to get some of that stuff done. So. So do you see the team continuing to grow from this point? I would hope so, yeah. Um, you know, right now it's, it's. I think the bottleneck is that it's hard for me to stay on top of like all the moderation stuff as well as come up with enough tasks for uh, this new part-time dev to work on. And part of the problem is just that she doesn't have the same like intimate knowledge of the game mechanics that like I do. And it wasn't written well to begin with, as we talked about. So it's it's some things are hard for her to work on. That's that's kind of why I've been having her do more of the quality of life stuff than like, uh, you know, we're going to change this core mechanic because a lot of that stuff, I think it just makes more sense, at least right now, until she has more experience for me to do myself. Um, but yeah, keeping up with enough new thing, tasks for her to work on has been kind of tough for me with everything else going on. So um I would like to bring more people on. I just, I think that's the biggest challenge that I'm having right now is, is spreading myself so thin to have enough time to manage everything. Um, but it's, it just feels like there's some things that I can't delegate. Uh, but uh, I felt that way before too. And like I said, I, I've been delegating more of the, uh, even the development stuff to the players and that, that has helped. And so I think I'll continue figuring out how to do that. Um, and hopefully, you know, expanding the team in the process and, and making things better. So I'll tell you, this is my second startup and not the, not the podcast. The podcast is my hobby that's gotten way out of control. But my <laughs> consulting firm, we've been going for 10 years. The hardest thing to do is to, you know, step away and hand the reins to marketing or community management or whatever to somebody else because you always feel like, this this is my baby this is i've got to take care of this i have to do it all the reality is you can't do it all and you know i gave a talk just this morning to some students over in the uk and we were talking about you know why is business and business development and business in the industry important because a lot of developers don't even they don't think about it until the last minute and so i went through like six or seven different facets of, of what it takes to do business. And I'm like, you need to find the ones that you enjoy doing and the ones that you don't. And just be honest with yourself and be like, okay, I'm going to give that to somebody else. You know, I'm going to put somebody else in charge of moderating the discord, or I'm going to put somebody else in charge of gathering feedback or you know, whatever it may be. It's, it's not difficult. It's not easy to do, especially initially. Um, but you, as all of this grows, you're going to find it's, it's much more necessary that you need to do it. And it's a sure. matter of just picking, picking people you can trust to, to hand off on it. So yeah, that's my you know, two cents advice there. Um, so what, <laughs> I love this, all these questions that are coming in like left and right. And most of them 
about the game. So, so let's answer one that seems to be coming up here a lot. What are what's the future? What are the next features that are coming? What are you working on right now? So that's a good question. Um, lots of things. Uh, I guess one that has been kind of highlighted in particular for a new edition is adding some new resources. So the game has a really like kind of complex and in-depth economy where uh, you can like produce these raw resources like oil and coal and iron and uh, different things. And then those resources get refined into resources like gasoline and uh, munitions that you use in war and steel and aluminum. And those are kind of the primary resources that get uh, used in like building things or like I said, in war. Um, and then we've got uh, some other stuff, like we've got food, you need to feed your nation. Um, and that stuff hasn't really changed um, since kind of the game came out. We haven't added any new resources or, or really done a whole lot with that. Um, it's all worked really well. It's all kind of a free market economy where people can kind of produce as much as they want. And then prices are just set uh, from players trading with each other, which is all really cool. And people will even play the market to try to like buy you know, buy low and sell high and, and do different things, which I think is uh, one of the things that players find is pretty fun about the game. Um, but one of the new things that I'd like to do is add about uh, uh, 20 new resources, and they're not going to be resources in the same sense. They're going to be more like how luxury resources work in like the Civilization game series, where they offer different benefits and you can like create trade agreements with other players so that you can share those resources with each other. Um, and I think that that will be a cool new addition. It'll give people uh, a new thing to manage, um, you know, coming up with different trade agreements with each other, a new way to interact with other players. Um, and then, you know, kind of the strategic decision-making of like, should I have this resource or this resource? Like, and they'll do different things. Like some will uh, make your, your war efforts more effective and some will increase like your uh, income production or your regular resource production or different things like that. And so... Um, I think that will be a fun addition to the game. And that's something that I've been working kind of closely with this, this group of players that I have that I've called the development team on ironing out, like what is going to make the most sense, like come up with a good draft. And then we'll probably bring that to all of the players to get like some feedback on our forum, uh, which usually is pretty critical. And then we'll probably kind of go back to the drawing board. Um, but I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, new things that I've got in the works. So when you're looking at the game in general and prioritizing what you're going to have, what you're going to work on, what you're going to modify. Are, are there any analytics packages that you use or are there any specific indicators in the game that you look at? How do you start prioritizing all of that? So that's a good question. So for a long time, no, there wasn't anything. Um, in the last, probably about two years ago, I set up uh, uh, some pretty specific data tracking in the game. Um, so given the fact that it's like a persistent MMO, uh, in the beginning, the amount of like stuff in the game was very low. Um, but now people have these huge nations and they output tons of resources like daily. And so we've experienced essentially inflation in the game in terms of the value of things of resources and, and even what the money is worth and different stuff like that. So I set up some tracking so I could see, you know, is there like way too much aluminum in the game compared to other resources? Should we add new content that is like a resource sink for aluminum to kind of uh, bring that under control? Um, stuff like that. Uh, so that's kind of one way that we look at it in terms of determining like what new things should cost or what types of resources new content should use. Um, and then in terms of like user feedback, 
we've always had a forum set up where people could post suggestions and we could look through them and, and find common ideas or see what suggestions were popular. Um, I recently added, uh, or actually had our developer implement this, um, a user feedback pop-up like in the game. So people are asked once a month like to rate the game on a scale of one to five stars. And then I track that data over time to see, hopefully um, more empirically, like how well the game is doing. Because uh, before, I was just kind of guessing based on feedback you get. But but I'm hoping that this will be a way to see, like, oh, you know, in the changes that we've made in the last month, like, our average rating has gone up, like, 0.1 star. It's gone down 0.3 stars. Maybe we should reevaluate what we're doing. Uh, but but then along with the the star rating, they also get to just actually type out, you know, their feedback on the game. And then I can I can look at all that, too. So um, that's that's been an area of improvement that I've been working on for the past two years, uh, certainly, to get a better idea of of what I should be working on directed by the players. It, it's amazing to me sometimes because I mean, I'm in this industry because I like games. I do, you do, you're going to get an MBA. I don't have an MBA. I took one econ class in college and I'm pretty sure I got a D in it. So, <laughs> you know, that's, I like playing and that's what I think a lot of players don't fully understand. And it's where, you know, not just in, in forums, but, you know, on Reddit and the internet in general, we can get a very vocal minority, you know, recent examples, like No Man's Sky and, and Fallout 76 that came out and they were <laughs> admittedly abysmal at first. And you see so many people going, this is going to die. Nobody's going to support it. They're going to make it free to play, blah, 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 blah. The reality is the developers are the ones that are seeing the more holistic data they see everything that's going on they see you know the actions by people who aren't you know as as vocal in discord and forums and, and that sort of stuff so it's it's good that you are looking at it from that bigger picture side um because i think i mean i've seen a lot of games get in trouble because they just start skewing too much to you know one particular faction in a game or, or, or one group of players and they don't realize you know everything in in general that's out there um so, I mean, in terms of growth, have you seen you know, very steady growth? You know, how are your, is that just, are you judging that based on, you know, retention rates in the game or how do you, how do you look and figure that out? Yeah, that's another thing that I've been trying to track more empirically is like the actual retention rates as well as, um, yeah, the number of new players that come in. So I think I've always just been fortunate that I, I think the game does pretty well when you search something like create a country game in Google. And so we've always consistently had like a hundred ish new players every day. But uh, in, when it comes to retention rates, you know, um, I could pull up the actual numbers, but off the top of my head, I think like our one, one month retention rate is like 20% and our six month retention rate is like three or 5%. It's really low. No, that's um, not I, low. That's actually, no. Oh, well, no, I don't know, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, I just figured, uh, you know, given that it's it's a text-based browser game, it's certainly not for everybody. I think some people come into the game expecting something more like Civilization or Age of Empires or something like that, and it's it's not. It's you know numbers and and text. But uh, for the people that do enjoy it, I think it's it's very unique and uh, kind of the the fact that it's online and, and the role play aspect of it. But um, yeah, so that's kind of what we're doing. And, and I've been trying to track those numbers better to get a better sense. And then in terms of growth, um, it's been kind of had at an equilibrium of around five, 6,000 players for the past like two or three years. 
And I noticed that when I increase advertising spend, I can bump that up pretty considerably. But uh, it seems like after if I stop after that, then it kind of it tapers back down to that level. Um, but since I've been doing these, uh, spending a lot of money on these Reddit advertisements in the last month, I think we're up to, uh, like I said, right around 10,000 active players. So it's increased a lot um, here recently because of that. But we'll see how many of those people actually stick around, I guess. Hopefully the retention rate, like I said, I'm hoping that given that it's uh, desktop users, it'll be a little bit higher than like the average where we get a lot of mobile players that I think um, don't end up sticking around. I'm frantically searching over on my side to see if I can pull up the latest retention benchmarks. Um, but you can Google that. I mean, places like Sensor Tower and, and App Annie, uh, they publish these things on a yearly basis and it's outlines. Okay, look, this is what the big free to play games get. But I mean, you know, retaining 3% over six months is actually you're doing just fine there. Well, that's um, good to know. I, I had no idea. I didn't even know that that information was publicly available. That's that's great stuff. Yeah. Um, since I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll send you the link in a, little, in a little bit where I found it. Sure. But all, I mean, that, those are always good things to do because it's like you don't know. I mean, you may be sitting on something that you could, you know, greatly improve on or something that you're doing fantastic with. But unless you're out there, you know, looking at it and looking forward, it's hard to find. And it's, you know, at the same time, you're getting an MBA and you're basically one person studioing this online MMO and there are people who look at it and it's like, oh, well, you know, four or 5,000 users aren't that much. That's a lot. That is a, a lot to manage and it's a lot better than a lot of games do. So, sure, yeah. you know, again, just find, find the spots that you'd like to do and focus on that and then find somebody else to do the rest of it. So, you know, aside from residual spaghetti code that's in the game, Looking back, is there something along the way that you wish you had done different that you would redo now, given what you've learned? Yeah, I think so. I think in terms of the core mechanics of the game, um, I really had no uh, specific direction or like I didn't really think about it in the long run. Um Whereas now, you know, there's there's like some problems that arise from the way things were set up initially uh, that could have been made better. Um, I guess like an example is, uh, so the main kind of marker of progress in the game is like the number of cities you have in your nation. And the cost of those increases exponentially, which is good. It kind of, you know, causes uh, growth in the game to kind of taper off. It's kind of a decreasing return to scale so that people don't just run away and snowball with the game. Um, but there are some weird things like the, in the cities, you have infrastructure, which kind of like determines how valuable the city is. And, and that's also an exponential cost. Uh, and then like a linear benefit where it really should probably be the other way, like, uh, uh linear cost and exponential benefit or sorry, a, a decreasing returns to scale benefit. Um, so there's things that I've like learned, uh, you know, through school and just through playing other games and different things that, I look back and I say, wow, I really should have built this in a different way. But at this point in the game, uh, given that it's persistent, it's just too hard to, to change those things, I think, because it would alienate, you know, years of player strategies and uh, just really upset a lot of people, I think. So, so there are certain challenges and, and limitations that I feel on, you know, how much I can change certain aspects of the game because of that. Um, in the beginning, my attitude or my philosophy was just that, you know, as long as the rules are the same for everybody, it'll be fair. 
but I think, and, and I think that to an extent that's true, but, um, you know, I really wish I would have sat down and, and maybe like sketched it all out on paper and like figured out, you know, what would have made sense or like in Excel sheets to do some of the math instead of just making it up as I went, but it's worked out. Okay. So, I mean, going forward then, is it something that you feel you'll keep iterating on the existing game? Or is it something that you feel in a few years you may want to just start from scratch with something else? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever, um, you know, scrap the game and start over. I think I'll always just keep adding to it and we'll build off these core mechanics, even if they are kind of flawed, as long as people are still interested in playing the game. You know, in the future, uh, I've always thought about, like, making more games. And I don't want to make, like, the same type of game because I'll cannibalize myself, you know, probably. But um, I think, uh, you know, different, maybe similar games like online simulation or MMOs, like, web-based, but in a different theme or, like, a different setup, um, I would definitely do a lot differently. Uh, I guess kind of the problem with that is, uh, like we just talked about, is being spread too thin, not having time to do all that. But... Uh, I hope someday I'll, I'll kind of get the, the management figured out, be able to delegate my tasks better and, and have more time to do the parts that I really enjoy. So just like you said, I, I think that's the, the key part to work on, to be able to do some more of that. So 96 Hours, everyone on YouTube has a question. Says, what do you use for unit testing or, or do you have a system? And, you know, along with that, what how do you do, how do you handle bug testing or, or do you, or, or how, what goes on in the background when you're pushing these new, you know, updates. So in the beginning, I used to uh, bug test on the fly. Like I said, I, I never set up like a local server of the game. So uh, when I pushed a change, it just went live and then we tried it. And if there was a problem, people made a bug report or oftentimes many bug reports. And it was a big, a big headache. Um, but over the years, we've, we've evolved that system. So it's better. We have actually a copy of the game. Um, that's uh, a copy of the source code. Uh, and just a different database, and it's called the test server. Um, and that's a place where we can, you know, code in whatever changes we want or that I want, and then test them in that version of the game before deploying any of that to the live server. So that's been uh, definitely one of the most useful uh, systems that we have to just make sure things are working as expected, because they almost never do when you first make a change. It seems like there's always something wrong with it. And uh, um the other thing that I've done more recently is is get a big group of players that are volunteers uh, in a special Discord channel on our server to um, go and test those things when they're on the test server. Because even if I create some code change and I keep it on the test server um, and I get on and, and test some things, oftentimes I don't consider every edge case or thing that could happen. Uh, but if I get you know 10 players to go try to break it uh, in as many ways as they can think of, usually they catch things um, that are, that would be bugs, uh, before they go live. So that's kind of our system. I know it's not uh, very, uh, super professional. I, I think it's maybe better than some people's, but I probably wouldn't call it unit testing. It's not that advanced. So one of our longtime followers, Divinorium says, uh, what's the best game ever made and, and why is it final fantasy tactics? Um, <laughs> the, the bigger one around that is what are the games that i mean you mentioned civ i mean or what other games do you look at for for inspiration yeah so i actually haven't played final fantasy tactics and i bet uh the comments are probably gonna say that i should and i'll have to check it out um but i've always really liked the 
government or nation simulation type games or simulation type games in general or strategy. Um, so, you know, when I was really young, I played a lot of Civilization III. Uh, that was just like a game that I had a CD of and I would play like for hours every night. Um, and like Age of Empires II, kind of when I was younger, SimCity, uh, more recent games that I play. And, and I honestly don't spend as much time playing games now as I would like to. Uh, but uh, City Skylines is probably a good one. Um, all the Civilization games since Civilization 3 I've checked out and played. Um, a lot of my players play like the Paradox games, and I have them. I haven't spent enough time to like really get good at them yet. Um, but really, any sort of game like that, I really uh, enjoy. And then there's some other like different browser games, too, that I've played. Um, one is called Supremacy 1914. It's like a World War One kind of it's a JavaScript like World War One map that you uh, play as like one of the countries, and you have to. It's kind of like Risk almost, but more complicated. Um, so a lot of games like that have been kind of inspirations for me, and uh, games that I just enjoy playing too. Down the road, I mean, given how prevalent mobile gaming is, and I'm, whether you want to turn it into an actual app or something is a completely different question. But have you looked or thought about, or, or how do you handle? optimizing a browser-based MMO to a phone screen. Yeah, it's tough. That's been one of the biggest challenges. Um, you know, even for a long time, the game wasn't even mobile responsive because I didn't really know how to do that. I'd never had any experience. And I think one of the players that sent me a PM sometime and they're like, uh, you know, here's this bootstrap framework. You should use this to uh, make the game mobile responsive. So it's better for mobile players. And I was like, what's a framework? Uh, but I did kind of some homework and uh, figured out how to implement some of that stuff so it would be a little bit better. Uh, but even still, part of it's just hard because the way that the game was set up originally was all on desktop and for desktop, and some things don't go to mobile very well, like big tables are really hard to do on a mobile screen. Um, but that is something that we've been working on, or I've been working on a lot in the last few years, is uh, kind of changing some of the UI stuff so that it's more mobile-friendly, kind of a mobile-first approach in new content as well, just to make sure it works better. Um, and so just having the website be mobile responsive works pretty well. Um, and then in terms of an app, uh, for a while we had an app on both the App Store and the Google Play Store that was just a, a web view, web browser app. So, so you open the app and it basically just opened a web browser on your phone, but it all was packaged and looked like an app. Um, and, and that's worked pretty well in terms of at least bringing in new players to find the game through like the Google Play Store and the App Store. Um, the App Store one got taken down like a couple years ago because, uh, or maybe just a year ago or so. Um, I don't think Apple likes those types of apps. They really want a native app on their store. They have higher standards than the, the Google Play Store does. And I've had uh, at least one player approach me. He wanted to build a native app for the game. Um, just I think he wanted some experience and he wanted uh, some exposure for his company, I think. Uh, but the biggest problem with that has been is uh, the spaghetti code that I started with, you know, there's not a proper API really for the game to interface with a native app. And get, figuring out how to do that uh, really is probably going to involve, you know, a complete rewrite of like the core code of the game, getting rid of all the spaghetti code, you know, creating a functional API, and then we could build a native app. And, and that would probably be a really good idea, but it's been so much, or it would be so much work, and I just haven't had time to, to do it really. So it's the old reliable, yeah, you can't get there from here um, situation that you're yeah. in. So, uh, Jeff, 
it's got another question and it's one that I wanted to get out in front of you anyway, because it's like, I was involved very early in, uh, damn, what's that? <laughs> in the game that I forget the, um, big, the big space MMO. Um, Eve probably. Yes. Eve. Yeah. That's it. I, my mind is just shot. And that's one of those where you've got these fantastic player, you know, led stories and, and situations. And so Jeff says, you know, do you follow any of the in-game political content created by your game? And, and if so, do you have a, a favorite moment? So that's a great question. And I would say I definitely followed it better in the beginning. Um, I try not to get too involved now uh, because I think, well, I, first of all, I want to avoid being biased uh, in any way towards any group of players. I also want to avoid the appearance of being biased. Uh, which in a lot of cases is equally as bad when you have lots of accusations, even if it's not true. Um, but yeah, so I've actually had the game compared to Eve online before, um, just in terms of, yeah, like that, that role play aspect of it and how invested people get. Um, there are lots of cool things that happen in the game uh, that way all the time. Right now, there's a huge global war going on where uh, typically what happens is most of the alliances and players in the game kind of coalesce into two sides that end up fighting each other. And they all have these treaties with each other that are like chaining. So once one alliance declares war on another, it activates these mutual defense packs and then they redeclare war back. And that activates the mutual defense packs on the aggressor side and until it evolves into like these huge wars, um, which are really cool uh, to kind of be a part of. And um, in terms of like a favorite moment, that is hard to say. Um, you know, there's been a lot of these different wars um, that have gone on, and I don't. I'd be hard pressed to pick like one that specifically stands out as like a favorite for me. But um, there are many, many things like that that happen, and it's really cool to uh, you know observe, even if I don't watch it super closely. So, for the for folks who aren't as familiar with the game, when you have these wars, what are the out, what, what's the outcome? you know what changes at the end of the day what's a tangible benefit or or issue that comes from winning or losing a war so mostly it's like bragging rights and political influence in the game um there's not too much mechanically that you uh benefit from uh you know the game kind of exists in the different like phases where you know there's kind of relative peace and everybody is like building up their economy and so they're generating more money or whatever and then it devolves into war inevitably, and that kind of destroys everybody's economies, or at least those that participate. You know, sometimes alliances will eke out uh, through neutrality or whatever. And uh, in the past, those alliances have actually been specifically targeted because uh, the rest of the game doesn't want them to like get ahead while everybody else is fighting. You know, they don't want to get them some uh, unfair advantage, or I don't know that it'd be unfair, but we're neutral. We don't care. They're like. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, you're neutral and, and you're benefiting a lot because we're all destroying our stuff and you're getting ahead. So we need to attack you too to, to bring you down a pegged our level. That's happened, uh, which is kind of entertaining. Um, but uh, yeah, so mostly it's just bragging rights, uh, I guess, in terms of like the relative like economic power, you know, changes because you can destroy other people's economic power by attacking them and, and fighting the wars. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I think because it's a persistent game, there's really no way to like win. Uh, you just keep playing and it's kind of a king of the hill almost. Like you want to be on top and then you want to hold on to being on top for as long as possible. And while you're there, everybody else is trying to find ways to unseat you and get on, on top themselves. So um, that, so that makes it pretty good for long-term gameplay. 
one of the things that I have, I mean, frankly, been surprised and, and happy to see in the industry ever since we started doing indie game business is the number of people who are interested uh, in, in the narrative design of games in the narrative aspect of it. And of course, being as a you know huge reader and, and literary major anyway, I love seeing that. You, with all of these things that go on, you know, and I love the paradox games too. I mean, like I suck at them, but I enjoy them. Is there a mechanism in the game that allows for some sort of historical tally? Because you, you mentioned like when one, one, faction goes to war with somebody else it triggers like god knows how many alliances and, and treaties is there a system that tracks that that you could actually build somewhat of a narrative from uh yes it could probably be better uh but what we have is we have a, a wiki that the players can edit and so they have a pretty lengthy history set up of uh probably every every major war in the game you know they have uh, information on it, why it started, how it went, who won, you know, all the parties involved uh, listed in kind of an info box on the side. Um, and, uh, you know, naming each war uh, is usually something of some contention or involvement in the community. People usually set up these big polls to kind of decide on a collective name for like, what should we call this big global war that just happened? And they usually come up with uh, fun and unique names. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. But uh, they're, they're usually interesting and kind of an inside joke sometimes or whatever it is. But uh, um, yeah, so that's probably like the main way that all of this history of the game gets kind of archived and collected. And, and I know that's uh, a big part of the game that people really enjoy. Um, a lot of the alliances as well will create these like award images that are like medals to give to nations that participated in different wars. And then they'll feature those like on their nation pages or on our forum or and stuff like that. And so they'll kind of get to take that history with them. Like, you know, I participated in Great War One, or, you know, whatever the, I think that's usually what they call the World Wars is Great Wars. And I think we're at like the 14th or something now since the game started. But uh, yeah, so those are kind of two ways that people, the players do it. Oh, Divinorium has had another question. How do you keep the rich from getting richer? You know, what happens to keep everything in balance? Yeah, that's a good question, and it has been a problem. There was a period of time in the game where uh, one kind of faction was on top for a long time, and it. Uh, uh, I think what happened was nobody could really challenge them, and so it was like nine months of peace, which uh, you know sounds great in theory, but for the gameplay perspective, I think it was pretty boring for a lot of people. Um, and you know, my involvement in that, it's tricky because, you know, I want to incentivize uh, war and kind of that, uh, the changing of who's in power and making it more dynamic because I think that makes the game more fun for everybody. It's not as much fun when it's kind of stagnant and one person's or one alliance is in charge the whole time. Um, but I also don't want to play favorites and like make it unfair. Um, so I, I think my approach has been to try to just set up the mechanics in a way that disincentivizes um, or makes it you know harder to hold on to power than it is for somebody new to kind of usurp that power. And uh, there are some things like we have um, war ranges in the game. So a giant nation can attack a tiny nation. There's like limits on who you can attack. That's roughly equivalent to uh, you know your progress in the game and, and how much how large of a military you could field. Uh, but the way I have it set up is so that it's it's um, easier to attack higher than you than it is to attack lower. 
so that a group of smaller nations can kind of gang up on a big nation and, and bring them down, whereas a group of big nations can't really gang up on smaller nations and hold them down, if that makes sense. So that's one of the ways in which I think we've been able to uh, achieve that, you know, uh, that kind of more dynamic effect and, and stop one faction from just retaining control and, and kind of ruining the game for everybody else. So, I mean, you've, you've obviously, as I'm watching chat flop through here, you have a very passionate community and, and game communities and players are notorious in everything from, you know, tabletop D and D up through single player, multiplayer games of discovering things and causing things to happen that the team or the DM or whatever never anticipated. What is what has been over the last six years the most surprising thing that has happened in the game where you went around and you were just like, I did not see that coming? Uh, well, there's there's a number of things like that have happened. Um, I'll pick one that is uh, just kind of related to the mechanics. So a while back, probably a few years ago, we introduced this mechanic called treasures. And these are like little special things that you get to keep in your nation. And if somebody attacks you and they defeat you in a war, they get to take it. And they offer like an economic benefit. So the idea was that they'd be something like really worth fighting over. Um, and people, it would give people a reason to go to war, kind of like we talked about before. Instead of just bragging rights, there might be like a tangible benefit to it. Um, and that was kind of my intention was it would give people something to fight over. Uh, what kind of happened in practice was uh, they just figured out uh, these treasures offered like a percentage income bonus instead of like a flat bonus. And so they were more useful for larger nations and larger alliances than they were for smaller ones. And what happened was people would just essentially buy and sell them. Uh, they'd say, <laughs> hey, you know, you pay me uh, $200 million and I'll let you defeat me in the war and take this. And then you know, whoever captured it, it was worth more than 200 million to them. Whoever lost it, it was worth less than 200 million to them. So it's just, it was kind of an efficient allocation of resources. That's for the just players. economics. <laughs> right, right. But that was really not what I intended to happen. And uh, I think at one point, the way that I had the mechanics set up was that they, they stacked linearly and they affected like the whole alliance. And uh, I think what happened was like four or five alliances just all merged together into one. They called it Treasure Island. And they collected like all these treasures and just got this enormous income bonus that was just completely broken and overpowered. And I, I had to change the mechanics so that uh, uh, it wasn't more useful to have more than like two or three treasures per alliance. Um, but the, yeah, that's like a good example of people finding a way to abuse things or, uh, you know, like you said, use use the mechanics in a way that wasn't intended by the developer. That, that does happen. Exactly. It, it's not cheating. It's a creative right. use of game mechanics. That's exactly. the um, that, that's the way that we look at all of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, we're at our hour and a little bit over. You know, it took us a while to get you here, and I, and I apologize for all the last minute changes and rescheduling that we no got problem. to that part. But I, this is awesome. I, you, you're obviously doing great things, and whether you realize it at, or not. You know, in, in six years of development, you have actually accomplished a whole lot of what people spend a very long time with teams doing. So, you know, keep up the good work, keep learning and keep improving this stuff. But, you know, a hearty congratulations for, you know, how you've gotten here. Thank you. And I sure appreciate you having me on and uh, uh, just listening to your podcast and, and some of the things that even you shared today, you know. Um, it's been really valuable for me 
uh, yeah, learning more about the business side and, and how people apply it specifically to games. So uh, I really appreciate all the work that you do too. Well, thank you. All right. So, you know, if, if you're a new member of Alex's community who is like, you know, who is this old dude that's asking questions? Um, we just go to indiegame.business. We have a podcast. We have YouTube videos. We have a very supportive discord full of industry professionals. But if you want to learn more about the business, the marketing, the, the licensing side of the industry, uh, check us out. That's what we do. Uh, and with that, I will remind everybody that uh, in about two weeks, we got our next conference coming up. We've got a load, I think like 30 sessions lined up, which are completely free to participate in and listen and learn from. Just go over to the site and, and get you a free pass and you'll be you'll be set up. Um, but otherwise, you know, we'll be back next week and let us know if any of us can help you in the meantime. But congratulations, Alex, man. Keep up the good work. Hey, thank you. All righty. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.